A Tricky Kid Media original presentation distributed by iHeartRadio. Calling all Gen Xers. Y'all ready for this? Were you born in the 1970s or early 80s? Have memories of getting up early to watch cartoons on Saturday mornings? If you can name all of the original MTV VJs without hesitation, you have found your podcast. As we take you back to a simpler time of your biggest concern was asking Santa for an Atari or Nintendo for Christmas. We bring you all the spoils of being a kid in the generation of excess and a teenager heading towards a new millennium. With all the music, games, movies, and events that shaped us proudly as Generation X as we celebrate growing up 80s and bloomed in the 90s. Hosted by filmmaker, DJ, and lover of all things analog, Roy Turner. Today, the 30th anniversary celebration of NBA Jam begins. If you're like me, you grew up with NBA Jam. It came out in 1993 when I was 19 and took over my life. I was already a Nintendo fan, an NBA fan, a teenager with time on my hands and expendable income, which is such a fun time. When you think about the game, you're thinking about that voice. He's on fire, all those things. And the, the guy that introduced all that to our vernacular, my man, Tim Kitzrow is here. Tim, how the hell are you, sir? I can't go to work without my coffee and donuts. You bring the coffee, Roy, and I'll bring the Dunkin'. Boom shakalaka. And the Dunkin' drive through lane is wide open for Kitzrow tonight. Kaboom. Why did this game connect so much with so many? It's just crazy, over-the-top, fast-paced fun, and it was the first professional sports video game with announcing in it, with avatars that were motion capture, groundbreaking new technology. NBA Jam was a carnival ride that lasted a couple minutes, and you're screaming and yelling, and I want to ride that thing again. Who was your most hated player when you played NBA Jam? I hated Bill Lambeer. Okay, all right. Lambeer, shoot. Rejected by Roy Turner. Or like my wife likes to say, not tonight. <laughs> what was the atmosphere and the climate like in Chicago, not only around sports and the Bulls, but then the anticipation of this game and arcade culture when you walked in and saw the game for the first time? The electricity in Chicago was palpable. It was the first time as a sports fan where everything felt just so emotionally attached. The energy of watching those first moments of them beat the Pistons, it was one of the most exciting moments to be alive as a sports fan. When I first went out to the arcades to check it out, it was like they were mobbing a rock star. Like the cabinet itself was the rock star. It brought basketball to people around the world that would never have experienced the NBA. And it was a big part of the explosion of the NBA. Quarters are being put up on top. I got next. It's the beginning of esports. Like Ten people gather to watch someone play and high five each other. I sneak up behind the cabinet and I just couldn't resist. Ugly shot. The guy turns around like, "Hey man, you sound like the guy in the game." I go, "Dude, I am the guy." Kaboom! <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's what NBA Jam was about. Just bringing the noise, bringing the energy. The, the whole attitude of midway games. Everybody was disappointed Jordan wasn't in the game. Wasn't there supposed to be a Michael Jordan edition of NBA Jam? The, well, the, the story is, so his agent opted out of him being in the game. The Players Association distributes little money they get for licensing the game, but the players only receive the cabinet, so he's not in the game. But imagine him out there watching every player in the league 
going crazy playing NBA Jam. And he's like, damn, I'm not in the game. I can't play as someone else. I want to be in this game. So his agent called up midway games. So they made a cabinet, put his likeness in the game. At the same time, Gary Payton is hanging out with Ken Griffey Jr. Payton was not in the first version and he was pissed. So he got a separate version and Ken Griffey, because he's just a huge NBA Jam fan, wanted to be in it. So there were three cabinets made with those three players and they went to their homes. There's a hacker out there who found out it was buried in the EPROMs. I uh, did a convention in Cleveland last year. They had a version with Jordan. I'm in Chicago. I'm going to Second City. Love playing drums on the weekend. One of the guys in the band's workout at Williams Pinball. We need a voice for Gilligan's Island for Mr. Howell. Gilligan, maybe we could bribe Kona. Love you. Where's Teddy? Got in. Think you could pull off a Rod Serling? Case in point, a man is about to embark on a journey. I do Popeyes. I'm like the studio musician for Motown. When they need a voice, they bring me in. Three years later, they're working on a basketball game. Just handed it to me. No other auditions. You know, I had a good reputation. Right. I'm being asked as an adult for $50 an hour to scream basketball you know, jargon. I became the voice, the only one for Major League Sports and write all my own material, taking it to the next level, putting right. lines in that are player-specific. It turns it into this comedy art form. I now have like fulfilled the dream, love of sports, performance, voiceover, comedy, writing, all together in one. How much of that billion dollars did you see? Yeah. Someone took out their calculator and, and worked out like the decimal point of one penny, whatever, a billion. To, I, I saw $850, no residuals. That was it. Yeah. It would have been nice if I had some of the trickle down residuals you get with TV and movies. They've made a billion dollars. Yeah. Don't just give him his flowers. Pay this man. <laughs> Pay him double. The graphics are great. The cabinet's a rock star. It would have done well. But your contributions All are right. what made that game. It's what made our memories. Tell me a good story about a player. Uh, the minute they found out that you were right. an NBA jam, that they were freaking out over you. Okay, here's the Cinderella story. I'm working in a restaurant. Steve Smith comes in. It's a March Madness week. My friend went up to him. That guy over there, he's the voice of NBA jam. And Steve Smith gets up in the middle of dinner, walks over to me. Are you really the voice of NBA Jam? Oh, my God. I can't wait to like tell my kids I met you. We were just playing last night. I got a Hall of Famer telling me, a waiter, I can't wait till I tell my kids I met you. Isn't this supposed to be reversed? NBA Jam was as much a part of their culture as anything else. I did All-Star Weekend in Cleveland. They turned an entire two-story restaurant into the Boom Shakalaka Cafe. I'm the host for the weekend. And they go, oh, by the way, you're going to be interviewing Drexler, Worthy, Matumbo, and Wilkins. Are you kidding me? They get up on stage. A seven-foot-one center. He went to the university. Of, no, no, no. The block doctrine will see you now. And these guys were going nuts and laughing like kids. 30 years later, I'm sitting with the guys I watched. My childhood idols. It's been a magical ride. When the arcades went away, I was in no man's land. Later, when I had this chance with the Warriors to come up with twisting phrases, I realized I did have the chance to do something no one else did. The first thing I hear from almost everybody is, you're the voice of my childhood. I'm one of those people. Actually, this whole thing came about is serendipitous. I have a five-year-old boy and a three-year-old girl. Earlier this year, we're setting up a little court. I haven't played NBA Jam in a minute. First thing out of my mouth. He's on fire or boom shot. That's how much it was inside of me. All those phrases, are those yours? A boom shakalaka was a gift of the gaming gods. One of the guys down the hall was listening to a Sly and the Family Stone song, I Want to Take You Higher. One of the coolest, funkiest, baddest songs, when the lyrics saying, I want to take you higher. And then the end, boom shakalaka, laka, boom shakalaka. I reached out, opened the door, he goes, hey, tell Tim to say boom shakalaka. So I went, boom shakalaka. Maybe once, maybe twice, that was it. <laughs> See, isn't 
George Clinton a playable character. Yes, he was a secret character. So a couple of cool connections. John Hay, who wrote the music, is a huge Parliament Funkadelic fan. Yeah. Bootsy right. Collins was a friend of the producer. He goes, can you come in and do this? I said, sure. Put him next to me. He can be the color commentator. So I wrote a script and sat next to him, feeding him lines, doing my impression of Bootsy's with the Kung Fu Funkadelic dunk bubbles. <laughs> Mind-blowing. Bootsy Collins and me. You went on to have a whole other life for a very long time. When did it come back into your life? 2010 with EA Sports doing the remake of NFL Blitz that no one even knows about because they didn't get behind it. But that started the thing where I got to do a gig on Sports Nation with Colin Coward. I was their host for a segment called Who's on Fire? Colin got a softball for you. I was right at home my first time on live TV. Michelle Beadle and Colin Coward were secret characters. So I'm just sitting there calling the stuff. Colin Coward from downtown and like rummaging through Michelle Beadle's top dresser drawer, he finds nothing but nylon. Coward's on fire. Brought down the house. The producer after we get, I can't tell you how nervous a lot of people were around here to have you on a live show because you were not tested. You'd never been on TV and you hit it out of the park. And to get that kind of compliment from this place is so hard to get in. I still have so many catchphrases and one-liners that if I get more involved with the NBA for their highlights. The rock comes raining down from high atop Mount Dunkmore. Like any young guy, you show him the nylon and he knows where to put it. LeBron, time winding down with the eulogy dunk. No, he just literally killed that guy and put him six feet under the floorboards. Oh my, the eulogy dunk. So that got it picked up by the Houston Rockets. I cold call NBA teams sometimes. They're, yeah, well, we don't want to just do what they did. It's like, dude, that's what I do. Let me do my thing. I want to get an online petition to get me to be a, a guest of the All-Star Game if I can't do it through my connections. I pay homage to one of the greatest games, 30-year anniversary NBA Jam, and nothing else, just to introduce the lineup. There's a yeah. reason why they called you back. When they did the remake, did you ever hear about them trying to, to get somebody well new? they they got marv albert for a year for one of the acclaimed uh versions yeah. and it just it tanked then they had neil funk for hang time he was the bulls announcer they thought we're getting bigger we need a real professional broadcaster then that didn't work so it's always come back to me which has been very nice yeah were, mm -hmm. were you here in frisco for the texas pinball convention when elvira scared stiff came out no, or no. but I did do the voice for Scared Stiff and Elvira House of Horrors. What okay. time is it, Elvira? Time to get scared, Steve. Yeah, hey, right. don't come a knocking when the coffins are rocking. And right now I'm getting mailed in the coffin big time. <laughs> yeah. For everybody who's coming to Arlington, I got my party machine mic. I do shout out videos, voicemail messages live. And then anyone who wants things for their YouTube channels, we, we can uh, get in touch down there or they can reach me at timkitsro.com, my website, where you can also see a lot of the videos I was telling you about. Retropalooza going down this weekend in Arlington, Texas at the Arlington Convention Center. Tickets still available now. Look forward to seeing everybody coming out. Uh, it's going to be game on. What's Roy's <laughs> favorite time of year? Blocktoberfest. Look forward to meeting you, Roy. Thanks so much for this time. While you reminisce about your first kiss on a waterbed after a long night at the skating rink, we're going to take a quick break to fix the TV antenna and hear from these great sponsors. Hey, everybody, wanted to tell you about the Garland Cultural Arts Presents. It, the, it came from Texas Film Festival going down just in time, of course, for Halloween. Uh, it's got a whole great horror uh, theme going on there. Again, October 28th to the 29th at the Plaza Theater there uh, in Garland as part of the Garland Arts uh, area there. And you're going to want to get your tickets today uh, or ASAP because... Uh, 
the price for the tickets are actually about to go up. So <clears throat> let me show you how you get them. First of all, passes are $50 until literally today, September the 15th, and then they go up to 60 tomorrow. So get your passes today, and here's how you get them. First of all, go to the, the main website is garlandarts.com. That's garlandarts.com. Uh, also, go to prekindle.com slash calendar slash it came from Texas Film Fest. And we'll have links to all this, of course, on our website, of course, at tricky-kid.com. Of course, if you're listening on the iHeartRadio app, uh, there will be a link there as well. Make sure you get your tickets today to the It Came from Texas Film Festival. We're talking Texas Chainsaw Massacre everything all the great uh, indie horror films all put together also celebrating i guess it's 39 years of i'm sorry 49 years of texas chainsaw massacre and so much more make sure you get your tickets today growing up 80s and groomed in the 90s isn't just the name of this podcast it's also the title of a forthcoming docuseries currently in production directed by our host roy turner chronicling real events in his personal life of growing up 80s in a small town in Arkansas. Stay tuned for release dates and premier party information. Inquire within about investment opportunities on our website at tricky-kid.com. Okay, so, all right, whenever you're ready. Okay, well, this is Sam Jones slash Gordon. I'm with Roy Turner at Tricky Kid Radio. And you better be tuning in, or I will find you. Yes, I will. Yes. <laughs> you just joined us. We are now speaking with Rayon Ali. He is the author of NBA Jam, the book. Currently out right now on Boss Fight Books. How the hell are you, sir? I'm doing great, man. Thank you so much for having me. When did this book come out? Came out in 2019. I started working on it in 2015. There was a quote I really connected with. It really spoke to me. Thank you, you so out. much. What a testimonial. And honestly, that was one of the big reasons why I worked on it for so long. I ended up doing 68 interviews total, which okay. over all those years just accumulated so much. The more people you talk to, the more threads you connect, the more secrets you find out. Why did this game connect with so many people? Very much right time, right people, right place. It was made in Chicago at the perfect time when the Bulls were just going wild. It was made by people who really understood arcade games. So you had that element over there too. Mortal Kombat had just come out. So that company Midway, they're doing gangbusters business over there. And I mean, Tim Kitzrow, the voice for it was perfect. They get this guy who they're not even like, he was actually the second choice. The first choice was actually John Hay, who did the sound design on the game. And then they got Tim to do the, the voice and everything changed from there. And, you know, they also had um, Eugene Jarvis, who was the creator of uh, Defender and Robotron, worked on Smash TV, Cruising USA, a bunch of things in Midway. He was there kind of advising uh, the NBA Jam team, too, as they went along. So, like, it was all these things, like right time, right place. The technology was in the right place. Like, the arcade business was at the right spot where you could get something like that. You know, release an arcade game now, it won't at all be the same. Release it earlier, the technology might, might, might not be there. But, you know, they had, the, like, the realistic... Uh, faces they had the nba license they had just all the things going for it at the right time and it was one of those things that i think you know if you're going to take all of the extraneous stuff away like all the cool aesthetic stuff like the recognizable players and the cool logos and these jerseys and things like that you've got seven seven people that were working on this game who are just like just crazy about it like these guys were like living and breathing this game like they worked on it what's crazy is like nba jam was made in something like i think 10 months 
Um, that's yeah, I've been, yeah, it's just crazy. And these people were like, like they were like living and breathing NBA Jam. And what's funny is that half of the team weren't even basketball fans themselves. Like they just wanted to make a good video game, and they wanted to make something that would connect with people who have no interest in playing basketball. That just you know, just for the fun of it, what can you do with the game? So I don't know. Big picture, it had everything: right time, right people, right place, and the perfect format. I mean, you release that on a PC, it's not the same. But no. when you release that in the arcade, you've got four people talking trash, people lining up quarters. I mean, there's just it's like a different vibe. You know what I mean? The machines turned up. It's so loud. The play is so fast. I mean, it was just really one of those things. It was a perfect storm. So how old were you in '93? I would have been seven years old. Okay. All right. So yeah. when did NBA Jam come into your life? That's a great question. So funny enough, so I was born in the States, but I grew up in Pakistan. And my first exposure to NBA Jam was actually through a comic book ad over there. I had the Superboy comic, um, and it had an NBA Jam tournament edition ad on the back, and it said something like, you're on fire. And I was just like, what is this? Like, look at these <laughs> graphics. This is amazing. And I wasn't even a basketball fan at the time, and I knew about the NBA but over there, like cricket was a big thing, especially pre-internet. There's a much more cultural disconnect. But I was like, this looks awesome. So I ended up getting NBA Jam Tournament Edition for the Sega Mega Drive, the Sega Genesis over there, like the European version um, that we could get over there, too. And I was just like, wow, this game is amazing. And what's so funny is that, like, that was my first exposure to basketball. So I love the NBA because I'd see these characters and these different players. I'm like, oh, who's this guy? Who's that guy? But then I was also hoping actual NBA play would be like NBA Jam. Like, there would be, like, dunks. There would be, like, you know, three-pointers and whatnot. And, of course, you'll see that from time to time. But you won't see the kind of, like, play that you'll see in NBA Jam the whole game, the whole time. But when I was a little kid, I was like, if this is what basketball is about, then count me in. So I was just basketball crazy about that. My mom was uh, in the States. She'd be sending me over packs of like Fleer and Topps cards over there. And I'd be like using like Beckett magazine to track scores and whatnot. Nice. Uh, it was a really weird time. They didn't really show the games over there. So NBA Jam and kind of imagining the game was a big thing for me. So I love video games anyway. And then NBA Jam just sold me on the, like, the look. You know what I mean? Like the whole thing. Just when you see the ball on fire, that sold me itself. Tell me the first time you saw an actual NBA game after you being spending so many hours with a game. That's such a great question. Honestly, I don't think I ever really got to see a full, uh, like a full game at that point. Uh, because over there, like, you know, they'd show highlights on CNN. So I'd be able to say, okay, you know, you'll see something here and there. And of course, when the Olympics would be happening, then you'll see something from there too. But no full games. So my one big exposure was, funny enough, the NBA Jam Session VHS tape, which has got all this great hip-hop from back in the day. Yeah. And this yeah. was also introducing me to rap music because I didn't know anything about this. And I hear about Eric B and Rakim. Like, wow, this is awesome. Like, yeah. don't sweat the technique. What's that? Yeah, right. Um, right. So I ended up buying that. Um, maybe my mom bought it for me. Um, either way, it was from, it was from like a Toys R Us in the States, I think. It was a VHS that I played over there. Um, cause I, I think I had the converter on my VCR. I forget about the formats, whether you had to do that or not. Either way though, I honestly didn't see a full NBA game until many years later. And funny enough, um, like I'm trying to think of like well, the first time I saw a full game, it had to have been like the early two thousands. Um, cause I ended up moving around then. And funny enough, I didn't play NBA jam in the arcade itself until many years later. Fundamentally, where does this game come from? Um, and then I talked to this journalist named John Robinson who went by the name Johnny Ballgame in GamePro. Now, I knew about Arch Rivals, but then as I started working on the book, I realized how important it was. This guy's good at this, or maybe this guy's good at dunking. This guy's good at defense. 
Turns out they're all the same character, just with different skins, basically. Right. Mark Tremell played that game back when, and he wasn't particularly impressed with it, but he saw the, a lot of value in the idea of the like potential. Arcade. I'm not advocating for violence, but was there ever any pushback about that? I did uh, speak to uh, a lady named Michelle Brown, who worked at the NBA uh, back when she was in licensing at that time. There was basically like a, I think, an apparel division and the non-apparel division. And then she was in the non-apparel side, which ended up being uh, video games, too. Um, and at that time, the big thing that the NBA didn't like about it was like the idea of arcade games themselves as a format. Like they had a negative perception of that. In terms of the pushing, I don't think they were really crazy about it. Um, and they definitely weren't like, you know, they don't want to encourage that behavior, but they could see that the game would work so much with it that I don't think that they could really be like, okay, take out that pushing. Um, but, you know, that's a, it's really great that you call it up. The, I would say the biggest thing when it came to NBA Jam wasn't so much the pushing. They were bothered by the idea of it being an arcade game, which they associated with Times Square of the 80s, which is different from Times Square now. They definitely didn't like it when they added Mortal Kombat characters on the sly in Tournament Edition. In a new game now, you'd have to go through so many layers. But back then, there was just Michelle Brown. What led you to writing a freaking book about this game? I was a pop culture journalist for many years for like Spin and Wired, Rolling Stone. But I really wanted to write a book. So I found this publisher, Boss Fight Books. There's individual books about video games. I had an open call for pitches. Funny enough, my very first writing gig actually as a kid in Pakistan was for a Mortal Kombat website. I was 12 wow. or 13 at the time. Are you familiar with the 33 and a third music series books? I am, and they absolutely inspired it. One of those 33 and a third books, somebody submitted about the music of Super Mario Brothers. So I didn't hear I, about that. It's so funny that it happened afterwards, yeah. So we've got a reading to go with it. We've got a conversation, yes. a reading. I'm going to quote this. Are you ready? It says, while Jam lifted its slick presentation from broadcast television, at a glance, it could pass for a real NBA game. Its play tapped into athletic fantasy. Shoving the other player wasn't just allowed, but seemingly an integral part of the game. Fouls were close to non-existent. The players traded bucket after bucket at a frenetic clip. With a tap of the turbo button, you move even faster, temporarily turning your sneakers a bright color. And here's the line I love. And then there was then there were the slam dunks. Players hurtled themselves towards the heavens, jumping feet above the rim without a second thought. In midair, they pulled off all manner of cannonballs, spins, and contortions. When they landed at the hoop, the impact was seismic. No one had ever seen a basketball game. You are an excellent writer. That, I, am so, I am so flattered. Thank you so much. That's a slam dunk that captured my experience and my emotion and articulated to me why I put so much time and love and, and money into this game. What was the most illuminating interview? I would say Tim Kissler was unraveling who he was as a person. Tim's story isn't the happiest one. Because yeah. Tim yeah. got paid less than two grand for the, his work on the initial NBA Jam. He's so good at it. NBA Jam made a billion dollars. So now he made 2000. Then NBA Jam Extreme comes out. Instead of using Tim on the game, Acclaim bring in Marv Albert, and they pay him a million dollars. And Tim is just heartbroken by this. And Marv Albert gave a mediocre performance. The game tanked. I did it horrible. I talked to Shaq for the book. I go off into a room at work, just this tiny little phone booth sized room. A minute later, it's like unknown number. I'm like, yo, that's gotta be Shaq. 
And at this point, I'm keeping my composure. He's pulling out of his driveway in Florida as he's talking to me. If your car door is open, you make like a ding, ding sound. Right, right, right. And right. he's got that happening. He's like, what's that sound? This is so weird. Like, I'm sitting in Columbus, Ohio at my job, <laughs> out of his driveway, telling him to make sure he's got his seatbelt in before I talk to him about NBA Jam. I, I got about 15, 20 minutes out of him, and it was so awesome. He loved NBA Jam. He talked to me about how the Orlando Magic would get together after like a long road trip. Shaq would be like NBA Jam in my room, like 10 o'clock. And then all the wow. guys would come up there. They'd be playing it for money. He was about the Sega Genesis version. And this is a classic Orlando Magic, Penny Hardaway, Dennis Scott, and all these guys. One of the things he really loved was the simplicity. He says games are way too complicated nowadays, too many buttons, too many menus. NBA Jam is just so straightforward. That was one of the reasons that it still holds up. You give right, it to somebody right. who's never played it. You can play, this, you can play, play on like three buttons right. and a joystick. You can figure it out. Get this book, NBA Jam, the book. I, I cannot right. say enough about this book. NBA Jam book at gmail.com if you want to sign copy from Tim Kissero and me. We're also working on an NBA Jam documentary. It's based on my book. Thank you so much for just checking it out and definitely keep NBA Jam's name alive. Please get involved with Rayon. Get his book. I am on Instagram too, at NBA Jam book. Get yourself a copy now. Thank you so much for having me. If you're going to play Tournament Edition, be Peyton and let that be me in spirit. Thank you, my thank friend. You. I really enjoyed you. I want to thank so much to Rayon Ali, of course, my man, Tim Kitzrow. And to Buzzer! Growing Up 80s and Groomed in the 90s is produced by Tricky Kid Media and distributed by iHeartRadio. Make sure to download the iHeartRadio app so you can feel like a member of the Jetsons and be part of the future as well as the past. And make sure to follow along on Twitter at growing underscore up 80s for the latest in all of our 80s and 90s themed events and special guests.